Hey there, it's Dr. Heidi. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, a podcast geared towards the things you may be misunderstanding about the difficult relationships in your life. I did not understand it when I was in it, but I definitely understand it now, and I want to share that understanding with you so that you too can find the courage you didn't know you had to make the changes you didn't think you could make. Hey, everybody, welcome back. You know, to those of you who listen to the podcast, uh, we're we're on a we're on a journey. We're on a journey of of healing, and we're on a journey to what we call our journey to freedom. Uh, to be inspired by other people who have, you know, forged the way in this journey, um, we can we can see how they have have overcome things. They're a big inspiration to us. it's 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 hopeful for us to see those who have overcome the healing process and really uh, taken the time for themselves to become the person that they are supposed to be because of the things that they went through. Now, as we know, as soon as you get to a spot in your healing process and you think, oh yes, I got it. I'm healed. I'm done. Now let's get on with it. Uh, We discover there's, there's another mountain. There's another layer to peel off. There's, there's another another ditch we have to go through. And and we get super defeated because, oh, I thought we were healed already. And so I have done this over and over for several years thinking, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, I'm going to get over this. I'm going to become normal again, because of what I went through uh, caused me to be abnormal. And I've decided now that I am not going to call it my healing journey anymore. I'm going to call it growing. And the reason I've decided to do this is the definition of healing is a process of becoming sound or healthy again. And the definition of growing is to become greater over a period of time. Now, after all, the reason we are healing from something is to learn and to reflect and to grow and become greater over time, right? To me, growing is a word that opens up many beautiful possibilities. It opens your eyes to new, bigger, better, greater things, things that we may never have realized if we continue to feel the shame of having to heal from whatever it was that negatively impacted our lives. So today I want to welcome back to the show, Suzanne Falter. Suzanne has been through a journey where she has learned to embrace the things that she had to heal from and turn it into growth. Suzanne is a writer a podcaster, and an essayist whose work has been featured in Self, O, More, Tiny Buddha, and the New York Times. She is the author of multiple self-help books, including The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. She is the host of the Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women podcast and has been heard widely on podcasts and radio shows around the world. Welcome back to the show, Suzanne. Um, welcome back, Suzanne. Thank you, Dr. Heidi. I'm How are you? always happy to be here with you having a good conversation. Yeah. And you know what I was just talking about in the intro, that has been a big, um, turning point for me over the last six months, the realization that, you know what, 
there's some of this stuff that might not fix. There's some of this stuff that I'm just going to have to figure out how to deal with it when it rears its head. Right. Mm -hmm. And at first that was really defeating, but then, then the more I thought about it, the more relieving it got because, oh my gosh, I don't have to fix it anymore. Right. I don't have to heal anymore. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to overcome. It's just this. Now it's just this continual process of growing. Now, when I first met you, um, we had talked about your podcast and the book of, you know, self-care for the busy woman. And since then, I've got to know a lot more about you. And I think you started talking about that the last time I had you on my podcast. And I know that you have overcome a lot in your life and now you've got a book out and uh, the book is really about your healing and growing journey. And I wanted you to tell us a little bit about that and you can start wherever you want. And if I have questions, I will intervene and interrupt as usual. Yes, yes. You're talking about free-spirited, how my daughter healed me from the afterlife, because that's what it's about. In 2012, my um, daughter, Teal, who had come to San Francisco to live with me as I was starting a whole new life, dropped dead from a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest um, and died six days later. And the cause of her death has never really been fully understood but the weird thing was that she wanted to become a healer in her life. That was her goal. And she'd been a blues singer and she'd gone all over the world with her little guitar playing on the street. And she was just this that part. truly free spirited person mm -hmm. who'd make some money as a waitress and then put it in her pocket and go to the airport and just pick a destination and go with her backpack. And, and she was a, um, a, a really unique and deeply joyful, compassionate person who had found her way to this conclusion that she should become a healer. And in fact, the night before she was going to start taking classes at City College in San Francisco to, in her mind, become a healer, she collapsed. And um, she she was in a coma for six days and then we had to take her off life support because her brain had been severely damaged by her cardiac arrests. And, um, you know, at the time I was just this super driven, super intense, deeply focused on the money kind of person. I really didn't know what my values are or were, excuse me, at the time. And, um, I'd forgotten about things that Teal found very important, like compassion and slowing down and becoming present in life and really listening to other people. And, um, you know, I had this kind of denouement, basically, as I, you know, I rushed to the hospital. I had just had dinner with her two hours earlier. And I come rushing into the hospital and there she is laid out on this, you know, ICU bed with all these monitors and, you know, all these things all over her body. And I knew she was going to die. I just felt it. And I also felt that there was a larger purpose for this whole experience. And that my job was going to be to carry on her healing message, her healing work. But first, first, I was going to have to become a much better, stronger person. I was going to have to become a person like her. And, um, you know, free-spirited is really about that because, like I said, I was pretty lost when she died. I was working in internet marketing and I was teaching people how to 
build businesses. And, and I was terribly busy and terribly important in my own mind. <laughs> and all of that just immediately went out the window and I couldn't work. I didn't actually work for two years and I just lived on my savings. And I lived very, very simply and frugally like, like Teal did actually. Mm -hmm. And I lived in a friend's guest room for free in exchange for making some meals and walking the dog and I healed and I and I began to really feel teal around me, which is why this subtitle is about how she healed me from the afterlife, because there were many things that went on. I She left behind these journals that had wonderful quotes in them. Um, I'm just reaching over here and picking up her her little journal. It was like this beautiful kind of tattered red notebook filled with little bits of wisdom that she had received in meditations. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of it was about her and her life, but a lot of it applied to me. And on nearly every page, she had written, just be, or be and you know. And these were the things I needed to hear. As I stopped, I slowed down, I reconnected with my own spiritual guidance. I felt her around me, which you know we can talk about if you want. And, and, you know, that's a palpable experience. Not everybody accepts it or believes it. I, I totally, I do want, I do it. want you to talk about that a little, a little, because, you know, we, we hear a lot about that. Some people, <laughs> some people feel like they can, they can feel it. Other people don't think it's true. And I just, uh, regardless of anybody's opinion, I want to, I want to know what, what you felt during that. You know, what I felt was a deep um, joy and kind of what I would call a, a tingling essence. It was like um, I'd be driving in my car. I was I was driving in my car the first time she really dropped in. And um, I was driving around crying and grieving and trying to come to terms with the incredible shock of her death. And um, all of a sudden, I just felt like this overpowering sense of joy move through me for no good reason, believe me. And then I felt this sort of tingling sensation all through my body. And, um, you know, it was really funny because during the week that she was in a coma and prior, just prior to her death, I did actually have a few experiences where I heard from her. I heard her whispering in my ear, even though she was completely unconscious. And the first time I was in a totally different place. I was in a hotel room near the hospital. It was the middle of the night. And um, I heard her say, you know, mom. And I'm like, wait, is that you? What? You know, I was sort of totally mm -hmm. taken off by surprise. And um, uh, I said, what's happening to you? What's going on? And she, the first thing she said was don't rush me which is really funny because that's what she would have said to me if she was fully alive. Don't rush me. And the second thing she said is, I'm trying to reconcile my heart and my soul. And I didn't know what the heck that meant. So I just sort of filed it away. But then later, I, I sat with her comatose figure. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, what are you going to do? And this was about two days before we took her off life support. And she said, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going. And it was just really matter of fact. And she was whispering 
in my ear, even though I'm sitting with this lifeless body in front of me, I could hear her in my head. And um, she was so clear on it. And, uh, you know, later, another person who was a medium connected with her and called me up and said, I talked to Teal and she said, I'll be back. <laughs> and none of us knew what that meant. And then boom, there I am driving and I get this like seriously strange feeling about Teal. So I began to connect with her in the afterlife mm -hmm. and I had this um, iPod shuffle. There's, you know, 10 years ago, we were still yeah. a few of us old timers were still listening to the iPod well, shuffle. Well, I have one, but I couldn't figure out how to make it work the other day. Nobody like, can, oh, believe me. <laughs> so the iPod shuffle um, had 2000 songs on it and 12 of them, 12 were of Teal singing. Mm -hmm. And um Whenever I started to drive and whenever I would have like a real moment of crisis, I would call for her and I would feel that warm tingling sensation. Mm -hmm. And then the shuffle would start to play one of her songs. And it was just pretty coincidental. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Or, or disco would come on. I mean, I don't probably had a dozen disco songs in there. And there was something about the vibe in the disco that was making the whole afterlife realm more comfy and more happy. Yeah, a little, in my a body. little funner than it appears. A little funner, not yeah. so heavy, right? And, um, you know, so I started having these extraordinary experiences. Then um, things started showing up, you know, um, a medium now i met a medium who <clears throat> described many important things to me and many of us who have lost someone in a mean you know circumstances like this complete shock and by the way the circumstances were that she collapsed alone in a locked bathroom in her apartment and was not found for 15 to 20 minutes by a roommate who then called you know emts etc mm -hmm. so her heart was started again but she had sustained brain damage which is why her life was ended and um, this uh, this whole experience of tuning into her, I've kind of forgotten where I was going with that. Uh, well, well, well I, I'm going to guess. Pause. Because, <laughs> yeah. because, you know, you described your life before this incident as, you know, very success driven. And I say success mm. with society's view of success. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. 100 miles an hour, I'm guessing, you know, chasing lots of stuff. And, and this was a slowdown for you. Very much so. In fact, I couldn't work even if I wanted to. I tried to. I kept trying to restart my business. And I finally gave up because the first time uh, I did actually fill up a small course. I was like, oh, good. I can still do it. You know, income, whatever. Even though I didn't actually need it at that moment. And um, the crazy thing was, that somebody had hacked into the learning management area and dis disabled it. So people who signed up immediately started demanding a refund and dropping out. And um, one by one, they kept going as we kept rebuilding the learning management area and it kept getting hacked and it was hacked six times to the point where the webmaster finally started having her hard drive eaten by the malware that was coming in from this hacker. So, you know, okay, we're not doing it. I got right. it. I got it, universe. And just after that, a good friend of mine who was a life coach said, you really have to stop. 
You mm-hmm. just have to stop, just surrender. And I said, okay, I'll take a month off. Yeah. So I took a month off and that became two months. And then at the end of two months, I'm like, I'm just not going to work. I'm just yeah. going to live on very little money and I'm going to recover and I'm going to take as long as it takes. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, we feel like we can get through this stuff by keeping ourselves distracted. Yeah. You know, we pour ourselves into work or we pour ourselves into something else, just hoping that we can be distracted and not have to deal with it. Um, and you got tricked there, <laughs> able to be distracted. Well, and the interesting thing was I found out that grief is copable. A lot of us do that because we're afraid that grief will kill us. When in fact, oh, we don't we don't know what the steps are either. Well, that's no. right. But it's the denial of grief that really breaks us down. And I just put a box of tissues in my car and I started driving around and crying and driving. That was a big healer for me. You know, mm-hmm. I don't recommend it in, you know, busy and right. <laughs> dangerous circumstances. Okay. But, but for me, it was really helpful. And, and, you know, I had been through um, a trauma and I had PTSD and I and I was in denial about that too and I kept trying to show up and do hikes I was like well if I'm not going to work I'm going to hike and this is the bay area and there are all these good hikes and, you know, but you know I, that that kind of goes along with what I was just talking about we immediately mm-hmm. now feel like there's something wrong with us so we're going to fix yeah. it right and you I know. would set off to do the hike and I would get near the trailhead and I would just be unable to to park the car and go join people. And I later found out that one of the symptoms of PTSD is you can't stand to be around people Mm -hmm. that you just have to like, I mean, I got rid of my phone. I just like totally hunkered down after that. And I did go to support groups because in support groups, I could talk about my grief and that I knew that I needed to do that. So it was this interesting balance of being very hunkered down and asking for help Mm -hmm. and asking for help became a big piece of becoming very quiet because becoming very quiet is not necessarily isolating yourself. No, that can actually be unhelpful. Yes. That that's always now I've, again, I've put strategies into place, but that sometimes being by myself, unless I distract myself by cleaning the house or decorating or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. um, um, The overthinking likes to, likes to, you know, inject itself. And by the time you overthink for three hours, you can hallucinate anything, you know, True. you can create stories, you can create all this stuff. And if, um, so, so tell me, and maybe you were getting to this, but tell me how, like when you really felt like, okay, you know, I mean, I mean, I know we can say everything happens for a reason, you know, at, at times like that in your life, that's, that's not what you want to hear. But, but when did you start seeing that? Okay. You know, everything does happen as it's supposed to. And I was meant for something different than I was doing. So how, how did you change your perspective on moving from grief to moving to, because I see you as a very, very positive person now, obviously, but how did you, how did you find yourself moving from that? Well, thank you for that, Dr. Heidi. I mean, honestly, The big shift was not a linear thing. It wasn't like there was a day. It's like there was a gradual self-acceptance is what it was. Because I began to realize one of the big things I was really fighting when I was a workaholic and I was so success-driven, I was fighting an inner negative opinion about myself. I was fighting inner judgment. 
I was fighting self-hatred. And as I slowed down and allowed myself permission to stop and permission to grieve and permission to ask help and to just own that I had been through something freaking tragic and, and seriously traumatic and I needed help with it, that was such an act of reclaiming myself and being kind to myself that then the rest began to fall in place. And, um, you know, the, the further I went into this healing journey of my own, um, more and more spikes of a despair or panic, particularly around making money, began to show up because, hey, it was two whole years that I did not work. And the first year it was like, okay, I'm just, you know, live simply. That's cool. Second year was like, okay, now we really have to kind of start winding this up, you know? And um, the funny thing was, as my bank account got lower and lower, one day I was, I was sitting in this kind of workspace I'd created and I was really starting to get nervous. And, and I had to learn how to live with the unknown. I had had clarity about the context for all of this. The night teal collapsed when I described to you that kind of denouement I had in the hospital. And so I knew there was something I was supposed to be doing, but I also knew the time was not yet. And I didn't know when it was going to come and I didn't know what it was going to be. And I wanted answers. I wanted forward motion. Mm -hmm. I actually started writing this book, Free Spirited, maybe a year after her death. Mm -hmm. I kept working on it, working on it, and I couldn't finish it. And, you know, I'd written 14 books prior to this. It wasn't that I didn't know how to write a book. I had a 40-year career as a writer. Right. But I didn't have enough of the story yet to really be able to stop and finish the book. So I'm sitting in this workspace, and I'm despairing. You know, God, please show me what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to do healing work. Now, where are the to-dos, you know? Right. Give me a list. <laughs> I can follow any list. <laughs> right. And um, the crazy thing was that I heard Teal whisper in my ear and she said, clean out your inbox. And I had this wire basket, you know, inbox thing. It had six inches of unsorted through papers in it that I'd been lugging with me through this whole experience. And um, I cleaned it out. I spent the rest of that afternoon going through every single piece of paper. I could not find what was relevant, what, what was meaningful until I got to the very bottom, the last piece of paper in the inbox, in the inbox face down. I picked it up and it was a letter Teal had written me six months before her death. And this letter was so beautiful. I have it framed on the wall next to me. And it said, you know, it talked about how she had met with a healer who had told her in her life that in many lifetimes we had been adversaries. But in this lifetime, we were supposed to be deeply connected and we were supposed to be leaders in light and do healing work mm -hmm. together. Now, I had forgotten completely about this letter. At the time that she gave it to me, I was much too. You were making money. I was making money. I was in a toxic relationship. It's not normal. Mm -hmm. It's toxic, a theme, right? right? <laughs> I was involved with a narcissist. I was, you know, hanging on for dear life, basically, and couldn't really stop and think much about Teal and her esoteric letter. And then I found it. And, um, you know, it just gave me such a boost because it made me realize the time was not yet mm -hmm. and that it would come. 
And then I just had to be patient. I just had to follow the next right step. I had to just keep tuning into my guidance, keep following the healing path, as you so beautifully described at the beginning of this uh, episode. And, and what I want to say is this healing path was not straight, even, or predictable. It was all about detours and divergences and moments of doubt and moments of fear and moments of panic and then moments of triumph and moments like I just described of unbelievable, you know, hit me in the heart with love, mm -hmm. deep experiences. So not long after that, maybe a month later, I got a call from somebody who knew my work, who wanted to hire me to write fiction. And I hadn't published a novel since, um, gosh, 1990. <laughs> it was like many years earlier, but they remembered it and they really liked it. So for the next eight years, I wrote fiction for this investor and it paid my freight and really gave me a place to stand in the world again, I, I just needed it so badly. And, um, you know, it really helped me kind of relaunch myself. And, uh, you know, I do believe we are given what we need if we just let it show up, if we have faith. Because I was very clear, my values that I now was clear on did not include workaholism or the business that I right. had been in, in any way, shape or form. Yep. I was just, um, I just did a podcast recorded. In fact, I think it published today um, about, you know, things that we do, we have to do to protect ourselves. Of course, I'm coming from the toxic relationship place, but um, yeah, I thought I had values in when I was in that relationship and I had changed them all. And the values I thought I had, I was, I was not upholding. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting. You said this a few minutes ago, the congruency of my journey and your journey, even though they're, they're, they're two completely different types of trauma. They're two completely different paths. They're two completely different types of grieving. But I had mentioned that, you know, the last six months, there goes another layer peeling off and, Oh, now mm. we got to do this next thing. And, and it, it was 100% a self-acceptance thing for me too. You know, you kind of, yeah. you kind of go through this denial that you're not accepting yourself and then what happens is you start wondering why, why everybody else is making you feel insecure, you mm -hmm. know? And I, I really had to dig into that self-acceptance at the same time. I realized I might not fix this. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to accept myself and, and, you know, move, move forward. And so when you said self-acceptance thing, that's, that's been a lot of what I think I've been struggling with also. Yeah, well, you know, self-acceptance is not like we wave a wand and boom, we've got it. It's it's this practice you develop, like you would do a yoga practice or, a, you know, practice the piano. Yep. And the practice for me became letting myself do things imperfectly, letting myself turn around before I got to the hike and just go home, mm -hmm. letting myself not have a phone. You know, there were the other thing I want to say about the way I connected with Teal in the afterlife is a lot of it went on in dreams. And there was this there were dreams where she was really teaching me how to be in the world in a different, more authentic, more connected way. Mm -hmm. And in one of them, she showed up um, in dreads and like big, big um, sort of mirror aviator glasses. Mm -hmm. And she had like 
heavy duty uh, cosmetic surgery on her face and she had these big lips. And she was just like this very sculpted profile of who she actually was, which was a person who wore, you know, $10 kids and little t-shirts and never wore right. makeup of any kind. It was a totally opposite kind of person. So she was showing me a false persona. Mm -hmm. And she turned to me in the dream and said, turn on your phone, just like that. And then she vanished. And I had not had a phone, like I said, for like, you know, 16 months or something. So I went out that day and I got a phone and I turned it on and I started letting people contact me again. And I started talking to people and I was ready for it mm -hmm. in another dream. And this happened right after I, I read her letter, uh, as I described, um, I was asleep in my house, my friend's house in the guest room. And I woke up, I had this sudden vision of the bathroom door up the hall and there was bright, bright light coming out all around the closed door. And she, of course, Teal had collapsed in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So it was a different bathroom, but it was a bathroom. Right. So I, I kind of knew it was her. And I said, are you in there? And she said, yes. And I said, why won't you let me see you? And she said, because I don't want you to get distracted. And I said, okay, what message do you have for me? And she said, you are whole and complete and ready to go back to work. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, I knew it. I knew it. And then the work came in very shortly after that. And it was just like, I felt each time I had these dreams, and I had many of them, I felt so connected to myself, to my spiritual guidance, and to that path, as you so beautifully put it. If we trust the path, the path will carry us to this place that we're meant to go to next, the next right thing. Yep. Yep. Um yeah, it's me just listening to you. There's so much correlation. It's just me. It's just putting me in awe here for a second. But cool. um, yeah, I think the perfectionism thing uh, for years kept me in denial of the self-acceptance thing, yeah. you know, achieve, be perfect, do everything right, you know, all of that. And, and the whole allowing myself to do things imperfectly has, has been incorporated in my life in the last in the last year. And I think that it's such a relief. It is such a relief to, to be able to go, Oh, you know, I don't have to strive that hard. Even though, you know, in the beginning, I felt a little guilty about not doing everything 100%. Um, but I have a, I have a very, I have a very happy, content life. Mm -hmm. And, and I kept trying to, I kept trying to make this happy, content life better for what? <laughs> you know, I was making my life unhappy and uncontent by trying to make it more happy and content. And I think that was a big realization for me. You know, the lie about perfectionism is that, first of all, there's something wrong with us. Because mm -hmm. really, we are doing the best we can at any given moment, even when we're not, you know, sticking to the diet or blowing extra money or whatever. Right. The second thing about the lie of perfectionism is that nobody cares. We really think everybody's going to notice how perfectly we're doing things. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. I mean, yeah. I really started to get that as I kind of, you know, disappeared basically for two years and nobody was knocking on my door saying, hey, you're not working. What's wrong with you? They were all saying, oh, she's been through something. Yeah. Let her be. 
Yeah, people are kind, you know, and I I found so much kindness among strangers, total strangers. I remember going up to the hospital where Teal died to the billing department because I was, um, you know, the circumstances of her death and her age and the fact that she was living at the poverty level, all those bills were taken care of by the state of California. Mm -hmm. They were not mine. And this one bill came through. So I went up to the billing department and I had not been in the hospital since she died. And I walked in and I was just really hit with grief. And I made my way to the billing department and I walked in and sat down and promptly fell apart sobbing. And I had, you know, found this lady with all these files on her desk. She was clearly like the problem solver and, you know, really had a lot to do. You know, was way really behind. didn't need me sitting there bawling. <laughs> and um, she was so compassionate. And she just took my hand and she said, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. You know, even now telling that story just breaks me up because she didn't know me from Adam. Right. I was kind of a pain in the butt, but instead of being unkind, she was kind. And she was as kind to me as I wanted to be to myself. And, you know, mm -hmm. people do show up on the path who will help us. If we allow them, if we, yes, that's it. If we let them, you're correct. Yeah. You ah. know, um, another, wow. another one <laughs> of the things that, that I struggle with is I notice that I'll be doing really well. And like you said, the path isn't, isn't linear. It's not parallel. It's not to be predicted. The path is us walking on a, on a trail in the dark with a flashlight. <laughs> right? The only thing we can see is this little circle that the flashlight shows, right? And I'll, I'll be thinking I'm doing so well. And then all of a sudden, you know, my flashlight dies or whatever. Oh, your all flashlight sudden, I'll just, dies. Yeah. I'll just get derailed. Yeah. And then you, yeah. you really have to go. Yes, but it doesn't put me back to square one. It just, it's just, you know, maybe I need to change directions or maybe I need to do something different, but um, mm -hmm. you know, rather than it devastating me completely, I've figured out this is part of it, you know, because mm -hmm. when I was trying to fix and I was trying to just get ahead of all this crap, if something like that would happen, it was completely devastating. And I felt like I was back to square one and, you know, all of that. And now with, with the relief of, Hey, this is, this is part of it. Yep. You know, just, just like, you know, um, Teal's path was part of it. My former relationship was part of it. Everybody who's listening has their own path. And I know you don't want to hear this, but where you are right now, it's it's part of it. You and know? it's probably where you're supposed to be. Oh, yes, I don't absolutely. think we get to be in the place we're not supposed to be. I mean, even when I was in that toxic relationship, I kept thinking, why isn't this working out better? Right. <laughs> and then long after it ended, I realized, oh, she was actually my teacher. She was supposed to teach me mm -hmm. how to stand up for myself, how yep. to walk away, how to have a spine how to learn how to have no contact, you know? Yep. And, you know, I have people ask me all the time, well, if you could go back and change something, what would you change? And, and I have to say, well, I don't, I don't want to go, I don't want to go through it again. Mm -hmm. um, but, but where I stand now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. Exactly. Because, because what I'm doing now makes way more sense than, you know, running around trying to make a million dollars. Right. And and I'll say also that the universe will repeat these lessons till we get them. And I had that toxic narcissist first in a relation, a love relationship. Then 
Um, briefly, I lived with a narcissist in a rented room okay. after Teal's death before I moved in with my dear friend, Linda. And then the third person, I went to Paris for um, three months. Uh, I had inherited a little money during this sort of quiet period. And a friend had a friend who offered to put me up for 30 bucks a night in a nice apartment in Paris. So I took it. Uh -huh. She turned out to be the third toxic narcissist. Yeah. And the second and the third, I really had to walk away intentionally. Thank you very much. I'm done yep. here and good yep. luck to you. Yep. I always say nothing leaves your life until you've learned what it came to teach you. So <laughs> That's you're, exactly you're, right. You're still there. Right on. You got something else to learn. Um, I didn't really get the smooth exit together until number three. Which is, <laughs> and then then I was done and I haven't had another toxic narcissist show up. And I, know. I don't intend to. You know what? I, I always say that you you will get to a point where in your head um, or even out loud, you'll be able to say, you know what? If I never see you again, so what? Yeah. And and that's, that's right. That's the time when, OK, that's we might have we might have learned our lesson. So so I do want to touch on on one more thing really quick. Um this this the book that you wrote the the free spirited book is it the story that you just told us basically it's it's much bigger than that but some of those stories are definitely in it okay. because it's about that path okay and because there I, were you know many more dreams and visions and ideas and insights and such yeah um, because the only thing um and and you don't have to go into this but i think that the listeners need to know this because this is this is a huge thing. Um, but Teal donated her organs or, or that's right. organ donor, correct? And mm -hmm. you now know the person who has her heart? Her heart and her kidney. There was a young woman, maybe six, seven years older than her, who had congestive heart failure for eight years and was on and off the list a number of times based on whether the treatments she was receiving were working. And ultimately they did none of them worked. And um you know, she was basically almost died three times. And then she got Teal's heart in her kidney. And there, there's been, there's some amazing experiences that I got to hear about from her mother about what happened around the time mm -hmm. of the donation and afterwards. Yes, I can imagine. Is that all and, in the book? Yeah. And, um, you know, she's a, she's an extraordinary woman who is also a healer in her own right, because she works in a hospital. And she began that work after she got Teal's heart. And the story is, is pretty cool. Yeah. So, so if people want to connect with you or get a hold of this book, or be able to ask you questions about this, because you're, you're probably going to spur a lot of thinking on different lines than the toxic relationship. Um, you, you had me thinking, um, I, I've never talked about this on the podcast, but my youngest uh, daughter had a severe head injury when she was seven and, oh, wow. and she was life flighted. And it was in the middle of me being in this mess. Um, and she was, she was life flighted. And I, I honestly thought that You're I was going to lose her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. I did not. Uh, the, the turning point there was, is they, she was in an induced coma because her brain right. was swelling so fast. That's so I was, right. you know, I was sitting days and days by her bed. I, I didn't go home. I'd go to work because I had to be at work regardless because you know who I was partnered with. Um, somebody who forced me to leave the hospital, go to work and then go back. And I was sitting there one night and we always used to sing, you are my sunshine when she was little. And it's the only song that would come to my head. 
And so I would just sit there and I would just sing, are you my, you are my sunshine over and over. Mm -hmm. And one night I said, do you want me to sing? And she shook her head. No, (laughs) just mom can't sing. (laughs) And so I love it. Um, that was, that was the point where I thought, oh, okay, good. And, you know, uh, she's, she's 25 now, but Mm -hmm. she has stories of, of things that she used to remember. She's having trouble remembering them now that she's gotten older, but of things like, like you talked about experiencing when she was in that, you know, state of the in-between space. Yes. Right. Yep. And, um, yeah. So, so, you know, you talking about this, brings back a lot of stuff and how I felt then. And how I remember being in the hospital thinking, I I don't even know what I would do. You know? So when I hear a story like, like yours, obviously we, I would have made it. Um, and so we do make it through a lot more than, than we think we will. And you are evidence of that. So tell people how they can connect with you, how they can get your book and yeah, anything you can, else good that we uh, need yeah, to know about you. Can, you. you can find me at Suzanne Falter, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-F-A-L-T-E-R.com. There's a contact page. And uh, the book is on Amazon. So you just type in Free Spirited Falter, F-A-L-T-E-R, and it'll pop right up. And um, yeah, there's links in the back to some nice stuff about Teal with her performing and everything. And, and oh, good. Um, I love that. Know, there's a little bit of storytelling about how she got her healing gift in there too, which is pretty cool. So um, yeah, was, people are really liking the book. It seems to be getting a lot of pass along from person to person. And that's my dream is mm-hmm. that people will find it and share it and learn from it and help other people learn from it. Yeah. But I think the last time um, I talked to you, I didn't, I didn't realize this book was coming. So when you emailed me that it was out, I was, I was surprised because <laughs> it felt like it was really fast. Um yeah. But yes, thank you so much for, for sharing today. Mm-hmm. I know that talking about this stuff, I mean, you made me cry. I'm, yeah, you know, I made myself um, cry too. <laughs> but, but you know, but you know what the other thing is, you know, I'm, I'm learning to own my own emotions again. I used to run away from my own emotions or somebody was always telling me how I should feel. And I noticed I can't watch a Hallmark commercial now without, you know, um, but it's, a, it's a good feeling to be able to know, to be able to go, okay, this is how I feel instead of, okay, I got to cover this up because I shouldn't be feeling like this. Yeah. Welcome um, to the sloppy side. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for sharing that. That's, that's, yeah, that was a special, special podcast for me to oh, have you thank back. Thank you. Thank you, Heidi. I, I really appreciate you and your work. And, and as we say, every time we get off, I'm sure I will speak to you again. Um, and anything else amazing you do, you have to keep me um, up to date because you've kind of become my secret little mentor. I've told you that. Before. Oh, you sweetheart. Of course. Who knows everything. Um, uh, but again, thank you. And we will we will be talking to you again soon. Thank you.